0: So I've been searching for a clean electrolyte company that I love for a really long time, and I just hadn't found anything that I liked, that I enjoyed the taste of, that I felt good about the ingredients, until I found Element. And I actually got a sample from somebody, and I was instantly hooked. They have really good flavors. They're actually tasty. Like, I enjoy drinking them, whereas other brands that I've tried in the past, I really haven't enjoyed. And you can just put them straight into your water, um, and they're so good. So they have salt, magnesium, and potassium potassium in them. And a lot of people don't realize how important electrolytes are for true hydration. A lot of us are chugging water because we're being told that we need more water, but we're not drinking the electrolytes that we need to actually hydrate our bodies. And so Element is a great choice. They also make seasonal chocolate flavors that are really good as like a hot chocolate. And you can put them in your coffee if you want, or just with hot water and like milk or just plain. I like to drink them plain. I love Element. I have at least one pack a day electrolytes are so important, especially for pregnancy and breastfeeding. So if you're lacking your electrolytes, give Element a try. You can use my link, Drink Element. It's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. And you will get a free gift with your purchase, which is a sample pack. So you can try all of the flavors. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor You guys, I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Morell here with us today. Um, she's a physical therapist who specializes in in helping to habilitate babies with tethered oral tissues. Um, I have known her for a while now, and I really respect her professionally. She has been a physical therapist for moms and babies since 2008. She is skilled in manual techniques across the therapy field, but has honed in on cranial sacral therapy to be her passion. Over the last six years, Elizabeth has dedicated her practice to helping mom and baby dyads achieve a special feeding relationship. She focuses on the neurological and phys- physical growth of the child in order for the baby to thrive. And this also includes the gut-brain connection, vagal system, and oral motor skills. Elizabeth is a tethered oral tissue or tongue tie Friendly practitioner, and she will assist in the habilitation of oral motor motor skills as well as refer out appropriately. Tongue ties, lip ties—these are these are things that I work with babies and families all the time that experience tethered oral tissues and need more support and need to find a skilled provider. And um, Elizabeth is somebody that I really trust when it comes to this topic, and she's going to share a wealth of knowledge today with us. She has also been kind enough to give us a discount code for her course, um, that is called babies, bellies, and bubbles, and it's designed towards ages zero to six months. Um, It provides parents with knowledge about how their babies develop and it equips them with simple exercises, stretches, and massages that will help facilitate optimal development. She's also going to touch a little bit more on this course and the other courses that she has towards the end of the podcast episode, but you can save 10% with the code Taylor10. I will link this course in the show notes, but you can also go to littlemoverspt.vipmembervault.com and use the code Taylor10 to save 10%. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to be talking about tongue ties. Tongue ties are a topic that I feel like I end up talking about a lot just because of the work that I do. And i I meet a lot of families who are experiencing tethered oral tissues with their babies, but it's not my area of expertise. And so I'm always looking to bring in experts and, and resources for those families. Cause I feel like tethered oral tissues are such a, it's almost like a mystery. Like nobody, most people don't really know anything about tethered oral tissues and there's just not a lot of answers for parents. So thank you so much for joining me. And I'm going to really pick your brain today.
1: Absolutely. Glad to answer any questions and thank you for having me on here.
0: You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Um, Okay. So first of all, could you just explain to us what is a tethered oral tissue? What does that mean?
1: So there are freedom in the mouth that basically connect the lip to the gum line and the tongue to the floor of the mouth as anchors. Um, What a tethered oral tissue essentially means is that these frenum, which is a piece of fascia are too short or too tight, which cause functional difficulties within the mouth, whether that be for um, gape, which means mouth opening, oral hygiene, for feeding, for speaking, for breathing. Um, It can be a lot of reasons why uh, we're going to dive in there, but that is kind of what a tethered oral tissue is, too tight or too short, causing a functional difficulty.
0: Perfect, That's that's a really great, simple definition. Is there such thing as a small tongue tie? Because this is something I hear a lot from parents that their pediatrician assess their baby and they say, oh, it's a small tie, but it's not a big deal. Does that, is is there such thing as a small tie? No,
1: so small, minor,
0: little,
1: um, insignificant. These are all words that I hear all the time. And basically it's either the fascia is too tight and it causes functional difficulties or it is not. Mm. So it can be small in the fact that I think what people are really trying to say is positioning, like it's quite posterior, it's quite far back in the mouth and therefore it's not so obvious, but those have can have a way more of an impact than uh, a, a tongue tie that is all the way in, at the tip of the, of the tongue or a tongue tie, a lip tie that goes all the way you know, across the gum line, so there's not really a such thing. It's just whether it's impacting or not impacting function.
0: That's what I thought. So basically, if it's not impacting function, there's techn- technically not a tie, right? Correct. Okay, that makes sense. I
1: mean, yes, because even if there if there is a tie, say you you have an anterior tongue tie that it's all the way to the tip, um, it might not be appearing to impact the function that you see at this moment, i.e. if your current goal is to breastfeed your baby and your baby can breastfeed, that does not mean that it's not functionally impacting this child, it's just not impacting the ability to remove milk from the breast at this moment in time. So it can also get confusing where it might be obvious, you know, you have a a second degree where it's like sort of in the front, right? It's uh, a bit anterior and It's obvious, right? You can see it and you know that that's going to cause issues when we're talking about tongue resting, posture, and sleeping. But at this moment, this baby is able to drink a bottle or drink from the breast without gas or, you know, they aren't stuck in fight or flight. And so people kind of make the assumption that that's not functionally impacting, but it's not taking into
0: account all of the ways that a tongue tie can impact your life. Right. Because most doctors, pediatricians, people, professionals that are not really trained in tongue ties think that infant feeding is the only factor when it comes to whether a tongue tie is a problem or not, which is not true. Um, okay, so, and this is a question I actually, I have, like I get confused about this and so, sometimes I, I wonder, like I hear different things. So do you think that any every tongue tie needs to be released? Um, this is a a good question actually. So it's definitely a case
1: by case basis, but again, it goes back to the function, right? So if functionally in this moment, say you're three months of age, um, at three months of age, you're able to remove milk from the breast, sleep with your mouth closed and your tongue glued to the roof of your mouth. Um, you don't, obviously there's no solids, uh, sleep and sleep looks good. Right. Um, No gut sensitivities from open mouth breathing. Then at this point in time, I guess you don't really need to release the tongue tie. You just don't know how it will impact the future. So um, I would say no. If it's not impacting anything, why are we gonna you know fix something that's not broken? But you know we don't know what it looks like in the future. If they won't be able to compensate, are they just compensating or not?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So. It might look like a, a, a toddler or a child that starts to present with some more challenges or, or speech, you know, um, their speech development is delayed or something like that, something related to eating. Um, and maybe that needs to be addressed in the future.
1: It does, though. This like then brings you back to the point of should we have just done it when they were younger because right. you're avoiding future problems, though we don't know if even releasing a, that tongue tie is, it's not going to just like turn off the risk of having other future problems. And I think that's another, um, I don't know, myth, right? Like we're not just, um, you know, ensuring that that our child won't have feeding problems or ensuring that our child won't have breathing problems. Because a lot of the truth is that a lot of this stuff is kind of preformed in utero, right? So because the tongue forms the palate, you will come out with a high palate if you were tied because the tongue you know, was down in utero. So you're coming out with that high palate. And if even if the tie is released and the tongue is now able to go onto the palate uh, over the next few years, will it be enough to uh, bring down the palate low enough so that a child would not need a palate expander in the future or, um, more airway, uh, work, right. Mm -hmm. It's not a surefire way that, that bad tie was released. And so there's definitely going to be no sleep issues. No, this this is true. We don't know. We probably, we could need other, um, help along the way.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point too, because that's something that I wish I had known before my son had his tongue tie released at six weeks. Um, he had a lip tie release too. Um, I, you know, was under the impression that this was just like this would make it better and this would make feeding easier and sleep better. And actually, after his release, everything got worse. Um, and I've, you know, from what I have since learned, I know that that does happen sometimes. There, there needs to be there always usually needs to be ongoing rehab and other you know forms of intervention that are needed to like retrain the tongue or you know help with the mouth breathing. And even now at 15 months, we're still dealing with mouth breathing. And so I think that's something that parents should just know is that it's not always just like this fix all, it just fixes everything, right? Getting the tongue tie release.
1: The tongue tie release does just that. Mm -hmm. A tongue tie release only frees the tongue or the lip or the cheeks, right? It's only releasing a tight structure. And then you do need a rehabilitation or a habilitation process because it was never done correctly, right? A habilitation process that in any baby that is going to, you know, get the oral resting posture correct is going to strengthen up the, the tongue, the neck, the diaphragm, the um, core, and and to all work together in symphony. That's a given Um, though. Well, I shouldn't say a given because that's a given to me, but that might not be a given to, you know, everybody out here, right? Babies need Habilitation, oral habilitation and, and body habilitation to make, to get that in symphony. But what I think is talked about less are the future issues, right? We're still not guaranteed that your baby isn't gonna go to speech. I do this for a living and my children are four and a half and six and a half and had their ties released and had their therapy and yada, yada, yada. And they go to OMT now. OMT mm-hmm. is um, oral facial myofunctional therapy. And it's basically what we do with children with the oral habilitation, get the tongue in the right spot, um, you know, get the tongue resting posture up. And they are working on the actual movements of the tongue volitionally to, um, get their tongues doing the right thing. Can they sleep with their mouth closed and breathe with their nose? Yes, 100% of the time. They do not mouth breathe, they nasal breathe and they nasal sleep. But um, both of them have a little bit of a lisp and it comes that little like tongue thrust comes from going back to that initial in utero positioning. And I mean, like I, am, I do this for a living and I still recognize that they continue to need support through that. Mm which you would never know through their speech and their language, oh, it's more of an oral motor dysfunction, right? Mm -hmm. Same with airway. A lot of, air is another one that we don't talk about enough in terms of long-term issues, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A lot of children who have tethered oral tissues, right? So the tongue forms the palate starting in utero. So they often come out with the high palate. Um, Can that tongue, fix that palette over time. Like we had just been talking about. Well, if it can't, then what do we do? Then we probably could use some pallet expansion to make up for that. Um, and so there are palette expanders that can be used very young these days. There's something really simple, a mild munchie that now they make a baby one, right? Mm-hmm. The baby that um, they can start working on chewing and getting that palate down. They make a myobrace, which is similar to a myomunchie, but just a more personalized product where it's a little mouth guard that widens the palate. They make an alf, which is a wire that goes behind the teeth and is adjusted and opened every six weeks. Um, That kind of looks like a permanent retainer would. There is a vivos, which is also a a product that you can put in and take out. Um, There's aga, which is an anterior posterior growing you know, applying. So there are so many different things that we definitely don't talk about where these kids are often, you know, a tongue tie is probably one of the symptoms that this child has of an overall, um, coordination, uh, sensory nervous system, tone, strength issue, mm-hmm. um, that is your entire postural control system. And so these kids often need extra help along the way, even though their tongue tie was released, their mm-hmm. airway still is a little too small to support their throat. Um, their their palate is, sorry, is a little too high and narrow to support their, their small airway. So these are things that I think you talk about less um, than the speech and the feeding. Maybe they have to go to feeding or, um, you know, maybe they need some more OT, some sensory stuff later on, mm-hmm. um, for that nervous system regulation, going back to that sacral for tension relief, all these kinds of things. Those are
0: things we talk about more than
1: the external, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's such a nuanced, complex discussion that we just, we really aren't having. And I do, that does bring up another question for me. Um, can, you know, if, if the tongue tie is really like a symptom or a sign of another, a bigger issue that is probably impacting lots of areas of the body, can some sort of body work alone correct or, or help a tongue tie be released without a procedure?
1: Ooh, good question. I think that's loaded, but it's a good (laughs) question. Um, So if there's a true structural issue, no amount of body work will ever fix a true tongue tie because that fascia does not have enough blood flow to stretch, to unwind the pattern that's actually ingrained in the body. Um, So the short answer of that is no. And the long answer of that is, you know, all different types of body work because there's so many do different things and they are all Great and necessary, i.e., craniosacral is really great for calming the nervous system. Taking a, a person doesn't have to be a baby, any person out of fight or flight, untwisting these tight um, fascia restrictions. Um, and kind of undoing some of these memories that are held in fascia, right? Um, You can do that. It's amazing to do before and after a tongue tie release or in, you know, in place of if you're not ready for your tongue tie release yet. Um, Cairo focuses on the skeleton and the nervous system, you know, physical therapy and occupational therapy can both address at core control, body control, sensory systems, nervous systems, um, strength, tone, uh, um, tension release as well, right? All of those uh, specifically trained. And then speech therapy is uh, more concentrated to the head and neck, but is going to habilitate, use proper muscles of the neck and proper muscles in the mouth. So There, all of those have their place, and um, I think that they still need to be recognized and worked on, regardless of whether or not you have the tie release. But nothing can replace a tongue tie release if the the fascia is truly that tight, because you cannot stretch out that tight fascia, it doesn't have enough blood flow.
0: Interesting. But would you say that the body work, like, so say, for example, a baby is having feeding issues, difficulty latching or something like that. Could the body work make enough difference potentially to help the baby with feeding even without a release?
1: Definitely. So essentially what you're supporting is if there is, if there is a true tongue tie, it's different than just like a feeding issue, you know, feeding issues are so there's a spectrum, right? Maybe they have tone issue, organization issues, Mm -hmm. um, motor planning issues, tension issues. Um, and so body work in general, or by itself can really help a baby just feed better and do better in, in that time period, but that's not going to, um, ever, take place of the release. If they do really need one, it's just going to help them compensate for the time being. We kind mm-hmm. of call that a rubber band effect where they do really well. Everything stretches out. Um, but at some points, whether that is just a growth spurt or that's teething or, um, sickness, they kind of rubber band back and you end up in a, maybe not as bad of a place as you were before, but regressing a bit.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So you've talked a bit about tongue resting position. Why is that so important and how does that relate to tongue ties? So your tongue resting position, which this is kind of a long
1: answer because it does so many things. Mm -hmm. Your tongue resting position is essential for basically every aspect of our being. Um, one, if your tongue rests on the palate, um, it is the way that we open our airway. So from tip to back, the tongue should completely rest on the top of our palate in order to completely open our airway. Um, And that is how we breathe now, but also breathe at night in order to get good, restful, restorative sleep. So if your tongue is slightly down in the back, which may be from a tongue tie, may not be, um, you are blocking your airway a little bit, right? And that's going to, uh, mess up your sleep cycles and the fact that you might get lighter sleep, flutter sleep, dream sleep, uh, which I equate that to, if you've ever said tonight, I'm going to bed early and and you get in bed by 9 PM and you wake up at 7 AM and you say, why do I still feel like I got hit by a truck? That's because you didn't get that deep restful sleep that you need. Right. Mm -hmm. So your tongue resting position is what opens that airway to get the deep sleep, Um, above your, palate is your pineal gland, which is also responsible for growth. So there is something to be said for, you know, children really growing well by stimulating the pineal gland and the children who do not stimulate that, right? What Mm -hmm. does that have to do, uh, How much is that impacting or whatever? And hormone regulation. Um, We know that mouth breathing, talking about hormone regulation, we know that mouth breathing severely affects hormone regulation and all different kinds of hormones in your body. So there's the opposite, right? If we don't get our tongue up in our mouth and our our mouth closed and we do mouth breathe, then your hormones in general um, can be out of sync. Um, Your palate height. Um, has everything to do with also pushing up into your sinuses and then that's going to affect how well you breathe so if your palate is high because your tongue is down it's grown that way now that's pushing up on your sinuses making it even harder for you to nasal breathe Mm -hmm. and the more um, that your sinuses are impacted there is that higher chance for allergies and also more that you suck in air because you're mouth breathing because you can't your tongue up onto your palate because it's now it's so high, there's also that risk for allergies. Um, Having closed mouth breathing also lessens your risk for anxiety because the more that you mouth breathe, the quicker you breathe, which also causes anxiety as well. And then we kind of get into those cycles, right? So if you mouth breathe, you breathe too fast. Your body responds by creating uh, mucus in order to slow your breathing. But now you're congested. Because you create mucus mm-hmm. while you're breathing, and now you can't nasal breathe. So, like, because you're because you're congested. So it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Right. Um, your tongue forms your palate and that tongue resting position, and that is that's how our teeth come in, right? So, if your tongue isn't forming your palate appropriately or didn't earlier in life, your adult teeth can come in. Um, cramped and crowded. So there's that issue. Um, your tongue resting position also is, remember this is all affected by a tongue tie because if the, if the tongue fascia or the frenulum is too short it's going to pull your tongue down so we're not Mm -hmm. getting any of these things we're not getting the tongue to form the palate over the first couple years of life we're not getting the tongue to be able to sit up on the palate to nasal breathe to take away the anxiety to turn on the um endocrine system hormone regulation right including testosterone libido all of that stuff um your tongue up on your palate um also hits the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve does a lot of things. We call it the wanderer because it, one, takes you out of fight or flight. It controls your parasympathetic nervous system. And two, it controls um, digestion because of your parasympathetic nervous system. And so you can have slower peristalsis and slower motility if you're vagus nerve isn't being stimulated enough and you kind of are going to be on edge and you're going to go back into that anxiety cycle regardless of mouth breathing or not just because your vagus nerve doesn't have enough stimulation up there so i mean (laughs) basically the tongue resting on the palate is literally everything in life not to mention the fact Mm -hmm. that it's the base of your postural control system it's the top of your postural control so if it's not up there things kind of can just fall apart very easily pulling yourself into that forward head position right away. And from that forward head position now, our entire, you know, postures out. Um, that's why I say it's life. It's,
0: It's It's incredible. Really. It's what's, what blows my mind is that tongue resting posture, tongue ties have the ability to impact so much of our health and our wellness and our development. And yet it's just really not talked about. And like, knowing all of this it, i would think all doctors who go through med school should know about this and at least be able to refer out to a specialist but they don't and i just i just find that really fascinating
1: i know it's pretty mind blowing I, you know i had a long conversation actually because of your instagram oh yeah with, <laughs> with a pediatrician who genuinely wanted to learn more You know, Mm -hmm. she looked like she was kind of starting a fight, but she actually just wanted to learn. Um, And I said, okay, how many minutes uh, did you learn about tongue ties, tongue resting position, colic? And what does that mean? And she said, you know, zero minutes. I learned Mm -hmm. about it in med school for zero minutes. And so she only learned about it in residency with being on the lactation floor and having the lactation consultants teach her in which then the higher ups, Uh, And the bureaucracy kind of came in and said, no, we don't subscribe to tongue ties. Mm -hmm. So you send them somewhere else or don't talk about it. So she couldn't even help her own moms because the bureaucracy wouldn't allow it despite the fact that she didn't learn about it in med school.
0: Why are tongue ties so controversial?
1: Uh, (laughs) Don't get it. I think that they're controversial because many people are looking for a quick fix. And so they think that I'm having difficulty breastfeeding or my baby's really gassy and I'm bottle feeding. And if I get this little thing, piece of tissue clipped, my problems are going to be solved. It doesn't mean that they did or didn't have a tongue to to begin with, which is debatable in and of itself, right? But when they don't seek out the proper way of doing it, i.e. getting some tension relief first, um, preparing the mouth with some oral exercises, making the core really strong, taking to account the child's tone. If the tone is really low, you know the muscles are kind of you know a bit floppier, right? Their natural resting tone is floppier. So things don't go as planned. And so when you get this frenulum cut and they expect a miracle to happen and doesn't happen, then the doctors are going to be more inclined to say, I, yeah, I saw a lot of 10 releases. They didn't do anything, but it's not about the release itself. It's about the support before and after, and and was this child treated in the appropriate manner? So I think a lot of that comes from the controversy comes because a lot. Of the, it's not a quick fix, and we often treat it as a quick fix, mm-hmm. and then sometimes we don't take the time to delve into whether or not the issue is a tie or not. Maybe the issue is straight up low tone. If you have tone is how the nerve impulse goes into each muscle fiber, right? So that makes the muscle fiber either more like cooked spaghetti, which would be low tone. It's pulsing low, slower or pulsing fast, making the muscle fiber really taut like raw spaghetti. And so if you have natural lower muscle tone, and cook spaghetti is what your muscle fibers look like, then the mouth is going to be open, and it's a lot harder to build strength. And so it appears like a tie because the mouth is open and the tongue is resting down. But what it really is is that we need to build strength to compensate for tone because we can't change tone, it's neurological. And the issue was never a tongue tie, it was the fact that this child has low resting muscle tone and they need better support of the core of the neck of the oral structures to support this um, breastfeeding or bottle feeding journey. And that was incorrectly taken as a tongue test because guess what? A phrenectomy is not going to do jack in that kind of, you know, uh, area.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so interesting and just shows like the complexity of this and how we, we really do parents really do need to be seeking out people that are skilled in this and not just their pediatrician as wonderful as most pediatricians are. They're just usually not special specialized in this area. I have to apologize because my kids are upstairs, like throwing toys, like directly above me. Um, and I don't know how much is being captured here. So sorry guys. Um, they are, they are supervised. <laughs> they have a babysitter, but anyways. Um, okay. So let's back up a little bit and go back to just like basics. So what are some of the major signs that a parent could be looking out for, um, for their, their baby or their child to kind of trigger them, getting them assessed by somebody for tethered oral tissues?
1: Okay. So the assessment is going to be for tether, oral tissues, or the like, right? Like, just like what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to discriminate. Is this a tongue tie, a lip tie, buckle tie? Um, Is this tone? Is this tension because of in utero positioning? Is this tension because of um, birth trauma, i.e. a vacuum delivery that caused a hematoma or forceps delivery or whatever? Um, Those also cause tension in the body, which will pull the bones out of correct alignment, which will also mimic a tie. So someone who can, has the ability to help you differentially diagnose what's going on here, um, gut health included, right? Because the gut health can also mimic um, a baby with a tie because it's gonna show similar signs of maybe spit up or pain, you know, a lot of crying. So, and, Gut health is, you know, another major one, but for tongue tie specific, um, if you are nursing, it can be pain with nursing, a shallow latch, which isn't able to be corrected by positioning, um, spit up or silent reflux, silent reflux being when you lay the baby down, they can arch their back, um, they could cry, they can be constantly swallowing, which looks kind of like a tongue thrust and the tongue sticking out of the mouth. Um, white on the tongue, white on the tongue is a good one. So white on the tongue, it goes with open mouth posture. White on the tongue is the, that the papillae, which are hair that grow on the tongue, that's grass. And your palate is a lawnmower and the tongue needs to rub up on the palate to stimulate the hormones, to uh, take you out of fight or flight, to create the shape of the palate. But in doing so, you mow the lawn on the palate. And so if the grass is able to grow, which is a light grayish color, your tongue isn't going to be shiny and pink. It's going to be a grayish, and then it's going to catch refluxed milk as well, and that can make it turn white. So having a white tongue is more of a sign that the tongue isn't resting up on the palate enough. Again, does that often coincide with tongue ties? Yes, but it could also be something like low oral uh, tone. Mm-hmm. Um, lip blisters, um, like little cobblestones on the lips all around, or it can might just be one in the center of the lip is an indication that the lips are working harder beca- to compensate for the tongue. Now, that is usually the case where the tongue isn't doing enough because there is a, a, the tongue is tied and so the lips are overworking, but it can also be the sign that the lips are overworking because there's a lip tie as well. So both, you know, we kind of have to check both lip and tongue. Um, clicking. So the tongue needs to form a U, like a hot dog, around the nipple of the breast or the bottle and create a vacuum seal with the tongue, the lip, and the two side cheeks if the tongue cannot stay on the nipple, it's going to drop off. And because there was a a seal there, it's going to make a click sound. And so that click sound is often because the frenulum is tight and it's pulling the tongue off of the the nipple, even though the tongue wants to stay on. So that's that continuous clicking sound that you hear, Um, which will also make the tongue not be able to swallow fast enough, which can also cause things like coughing on milk. We say the word choking, but it's not really choking because they're coughing, but they're coughing on milk, right? Because the the tongue can't swallow fast enough to keep up with the flow. And that sometimes that can also be confused with, well, mom just has a fast letdown. But realistically, if baby's tongue moved quick enough and the seal was good enough, it wouldn't matter how fast mom's flow was. Uh, That just shows that they can't keep up. So something's going on with the oral structure that they can't keep up. Gas pain is an obvious one because when the tongue clicks down or lets in air through the sides, you're letting in air with every swallow. And so you're creating these little gas bombs of layers of milk, air, milk, air, milk, air. And as those bubbles come up, it's going to either push the milk up with silent reflux or it's going to push the milk out as spit up. So gas, right? It's just gas pain. Um, what are some other signs of tongue ties? Oh, well, how about visual? You might stick the tongue out and it looks like a fork. Sticking your tongue out is not um, indicative of whether or whether or not you have a tongue tie because you can compensate by sticking it down. Um, it's really more about function. But if you try to stick the tongue out, it can't even reach over the gum line. That's a red flag. If you stick the tongue out, but it has a little dent in the tip, or even just squared out, those are also signs that the frenulum is pulling it back as it's trying to come out. Um, Heart shape is the most obvious. That's an anterior tongue tie when the baby cries. Another one is that when the baby cries, the tongue doesn't lift very high or it might cup around the edges and look like a bowl. Part of this also has to do with cranial nerve function. Um, Not always to do with tongue ties, but they do go hand in hand. Um, Let me think. I think, obviously that's a lot of symptoms, but those are maybe the main ones. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. There's so many symptoms Mm -hmm. that can be, you know, that you can exhibit just from having a tongue tie. Um, You know, speech obviously is older, is an older Mm -hmm. sign but um, not being able to pronounce all your sounds that are age appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. You can't expect a two-year-old to be doing THs and Rs perfectly because it's not developmentally appropriate. Um, Feeding, you know, the the tongue needs to be able to hold the the food on the side of the mouth, on the molars and chew, lift it, move it to the other side, chew. Um, So you might see some mashing where the baby... Uh, or child keeps the food on the top of the tongue and just kind of goes up and down, mashing into their palate because they don't have the strength to move the food left and right. Um, and the inability to want to chew tough foods is another red flag in those bigger babies who you know, haven't really developed properly those chewing muscles because of the small chin. Oh, there's another sign of tongue tie, small chin um, or recessed chin because when the head grows backwards, like around the back of the head to the front of the head, the chin is held back by that tie as the head continues to grow. So a lot of these kids come out with Micronathia, which is small chin or Retronathia, which is chin that is recessed. Um, So feeding becomes difficult for those kids because they haven't appropriately used those chewing muscles and because their jaw is small. You know, blocking the airway, snoring is a big one. Um, mouth breathing and not being able to get into deep sleep is another one. See, they're like endless. I, right, I,
0: I and they for- all they all can overlap, and they can all be also attributed to other issues, which makes it all super complicated. And then the question I get asked a lot is how. How does a tongue tie, how can an, a tongue tie impact sleep? And you just answered a lot of those, those questions because it's not just that it impacts sleep directly. It's more that one that the mouth breathing can impact your ability to get into a restorative restful stage of sleep. Um, but also if your baby is having gas pain, discomfort, reflux, feeding issues, any of that, could all of those things can contribute to increased wakefulness or rest uh, restlessness at night or during the day. Correct,
1: correct. And we often rely on, um, association, sleep associations to get us through those things. One biggest one being a pacifier, right? Because if the tongue cannot sit up on the palate and, and reach the vagus nerve and hormonally calm us down, something else is going to do so. And oftentimes that's the palate or uh, the, the pacifier, or maybe, uh, your thumb. Right. Mm -hmm. And, the thing about that is that artificially opens the airway, right? The pacifier pushes down the tongue, which will artificially open the airway. And once you pull that pacifier out, then they can't mimic that, right? You can't go back to that normal um, behavior of opening that airway because the tongue is kind of blocking the airway. So that will wake you up. Having a pacifier or a thumb in your mouth also keeps you awake because it keeps you moving. It keeps you sucking. And if you're mm-hmm. just sucking in your sleep, then you're not really dead asleep you're you're sucking you're awake and that's why they introduce pacifiers to prevent sids because if you can stay awake sucking a pacifier you're not gonna die so that was like one of the big things the thing is that how can you get restorative sleep to grow and to be a, a healthy human if you're constantly awake right but we use these kind of sleep associations to soothe the reflux that's bothering this baby to hit the vagus nerve because they can't Mm. do it, right? And these soothe them, but then they also create other sleep habits because they can't get that deep restful sleep.
0: Yeah, and so another thing that I've heard recently and been trying to find more information about, but it's obviously hard to find, is that um, babies who have tongue ties will often prefer to sleep on their belly to open the airway. Is that something that you know anything about? Well, um, when you sleep on
1: your back, your tongue naturally falls toward the back of your throat,
0: which Mm -hmm. will
1: block your airway or semi block your airway. Right. And so having a tongue tie kind of keeps the tongue blocking the back of the throat. When you sleep on your belly, your tongue falls forward and it's easier to maintain that tip to back, um, position of your tongue on your palate to open your airway. So I don't think there's any research that shows that, but uh, you know, anatomically speaking, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. What an ENT will tell you today is if you drink alcohol, your tongue gets drunk. And when your tongue gets drunk, it falls to the back of the throat and it blocks your airway. And that's why you snore and get let's say obstructive sleep apnea it's really no different from having a tongue tie right like you lay on your back and your tongue is held by this little frenulum which you cannot move and so it's blocking your airway so there's not really a big difference there there's Mm -hmm. a floppy tongue in the back of your throat um i don't think you're going to find any research that proves Mm -hmm. that because that would kind of like disprove sids and we're not about that
0: yeah Yeah. But I I have worked with a lot of families who their baby will not sleep unless they're on their stomach or resting on mom's chest. Um, they will not sleep flat. And so I always say that could be a red flag for some sort of breathing, um, issue, airway obstruction. That's something to definitely get assessed. If you're finding that your baby has a really hard time sleeping flat on their back.
1: Um, I mean, it's also escaping reflux too, right? So if you lay on your belly, Your sphincter is more turned on between your stomach and your esophagus. It's going to let less reflux come back up Mm -hmm. into your child's throat. And they're going to love that. It also digests the food a lot more and moves the gas out a lot more. So in general, babies are happier sleeping on their stomachs because they have all those natural biological processes happening on their stomach. Plus your tongue is now no longer, you know, stuck in your airway. Um, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes those small floppy airways are opened when they're on their belly, but you know, that's why they, that's why they'll prefer it.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So what is the rehab process, the habilitative process? What does that look like pre and post um, Because I work with a lot of families who don't get any recommendations for any sort of rehab or body work, no pre, no post. What should that typically look like?
1: In what age? Babies. Okay. Babies. So for babies, prefrontectomy, the goal is to give enough tension release and relief so that a one a head-turning preference um, does not impact the release itself and the depth of the release right so the tighter the baby um, and babies are often tight because of your, in your neuro positioning but also because they're using their shoulders and their neck muscles in order to feed because their actual oral structures are not adequate at that time so if we drop the shoulders down you know undo that head turning preference then everything's kind of even keel right so you have a base starting point that you know that like the left side isn't super tight and it's not going to pull that diamond shut on that left side um with the tension release especially head neck floor of the mouth you get a better idea of what the depth of this fascial tightness is because essentially the more um, tension relief body work that you get, the more delineation, like, you know, separation of what is muscular versus what is fascial versus what is compensatory movement that you find. And so you can get a better, deeper release or even a more superficial release saying, okay, it was actually just this tiny little piece of fascia and these muscles were just hiked up in there because they were tensed up. So you're giving the release provider a much better go at what exactly, what part of the fascia that they should release. Mm -hmm. So tension relief is huge. Um, And then we want to give the baby enough core strength that's age appropriate, right, for their body, how much core strength should you have and neck strength should you have so that the brain does not have to focus on, where's my body, where are my feet, where's my belly, where's, what's going on here. Instead, the brain can just focus on feeding or else the baby can become very disorganized where they don't know where they are in space and they they feel, you know, they go into fight or flight or they feel like they're wearing gloves all the time and it just doesn't need to be the case. So giving them enough postural stability so that the brain can just focus on the mouth. And then the oral structures themselves, we should be you know loosening those tension patterns in the cheeks to really see are there actual buckle ties in there? Should we pop them out? Let's see how they work. Let's actually turn on the masseter and the boxinator and the temporalis to appropriately feed. Let's get the tongue moving left and right. Let's work on that oral resting posture and kind of get it in an age appropriate position um, so that there is some muscle memory of what you should be doing before we cut their tongue and their lip and their cheeks, and they have no idea where they are, or what to do with them. because they're going to go back to those same biting, chomping, slurping patterns that they had before if you had never told them any different. So beforehand, just giving them all right, here are the general exercises that you can do so that we can turn on the correct muscles, try to turn off the incorrect muscles, and then we can focus on that fascia and being released. So that's kind of what pre looks like. Post phrenectomy, phrenotomy, phrenulotomy, whatever your child gets, because they're all a little bit different. Um, Immediately, we're talking about, you know, first of all, keeping that baby out of fight or flight. uh, what I didn't say was if a baby is in fight or flight, we should not be doing any sort of releases at this time, because that baby has a higher potential to go into oral aversion land or just mm-hmm. not want to feed in general. Um, then, And the nervous system is, is key. So that baby's nervous system should be as, addressed as much as it possibly can beforehand. Um, And sometimes their nervous system is stuck in fight or flight because they're hungry and they kind of need that release to get food in their body so that they're not starving anymore. But in general, we want that nervous system calm. But the first couple of days, you know, post phrenectomy, that is the SOS. The SOS is we have to make sure that this baby stays as cool, calm and collected as they can right from that process. Check that tongue resting posture. Try to keep the diamond open with you know sleeping posture. Um, get as much food as we can into the baby in whatever way that we can, so that they are feeling not feeling hungry, because feeling hungry will send you kind of uh, your brain in different places. And then slowly work our way back into okay. Now you know we're out of the immediate trauma. And now we're gonna work on habilitation. This tongue used to hot dog around this nipple and stay glued there, pushing it to the palate. Um, cheeks activated, chin down, no, you know, no chin involved here. Shoulders are out of the ears and you know, cores as strong as possible. So the habilitation process post looks kind of like the habilitation process pre, but. Basically, in CrossFit, right? Like in baby boot camp. Okay, mm-hmm. now you're free. Now here we go. Like we're going for the gold here. Um, so it, it sort of depends on what providers you have in your area, which I think is one of the bigger factors here.
0: Who do yeah. you have?
1: But ideally, you like to have some oral and body habilitation and some nervous system and tension relief, right? That mm-hmm. might be CST, Cairo some OTs and PTs, you know, fascia release, um, for habilitation, it could be OT, PT, speech or osteopath for, uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, fascia release organization, muscular stuff. Um, but ideally you want to have both. You want to have tension relief plus movement, um, to kind of recreate the correct process and, and kind of go from there.
0: That's a really good overview. Um, because it can be really confusing. I always have parents ask me, well, There's so many different kinds of body work. How do I know like who to go to, what my baby needs? And so then my question is, we've talked about so much here and even about how, you know, it might not be that there is a tongue tie. It could be that there is a tone issue or something like that. So if parents are seeing some of these signs in their babies and they want to get their baby assessed where do they start? Because we know they don't necessarily start with their pediatrician, but is there a way to find, like, is there one provider that can assess for all of these things? Um, or where do parents start? Do you have any tips for them?
1: Yeah, so I think that the IBCLC is probably the best starting point. Um, it doesn't matter if you're breast or bottle feeding, actually, the IBCLC should address the immediate concerns with. Um, supply. I mean, if you're exclusively bottle feeding and exclusively formula feeding, you could go straight to a PTO or speech therapist who is trained in ties and differential diagnosis, right? But for breast milk fed baby, it could be IBCLC for both bottle and breast, um, and they will be able to um, differentially diagnose. None of us diagnose, but differentially diagnose is this a structural problem? Or a positional problem, or is this a parent problem, right? Is this uh, a supply issue, a nipple shape, um, IGT, which is insufficient glandular tissue? Is this a breast issue? Is this is a hormone issue. Mm-hmm. They would be able to differentially diagnose there first and then say, okay, you know, these are anatomical issues um, and you have tension that's causing these issues. I see tension. So you need to go to get assessed by attention release body worker and get assessed by the functional um, body worker. That may be the same person, or it might not be the same person, right, Um, and that, but the IBCLC is the perfect place to start there, and they're also a perfect place to go back to once um, a tie has been released, because now your positioning is going to look different, and now your supply is going to look different, so they're definitely, I would say the SOS on the team for sure, but if you're just bottle feeding and you're just formula feeding, then you can go straight to OTP to your speech who is trained in ties for that functional evaluation and differential diagnosis of whether or not that this is tone tension um, or tie or something different cleft palate you know something. Uh, Throat wise, you know, laryngeal melatia comes into play a lot with strider, all these kinds of things, where an IBCLC isn't actually trained in, in those specifics. So that you'll probably get more from the functional assessment. And then even from us as providers, you know, body workers and functional providers, we often send out to ENT and airway specialists based on our assessments, even before we. Send out for tie releases to check all the boxes. Maybe you hear strider, which is that ee- sound when they're breathing or feeding. Um, you know that often indicates laryngeal or tracheomalacia, and we want to make sure that that is checked off by the ENT before you go and just cut their tongue tie. Um, you might see you know, on an older baby that the tonsils are already kind of blocking the airway, you know, that needs to be assessed. You might see that the tone is really low and then send them to the airway dentist and say, should we release this tongue or would this be a bad idea structurally for this child? So, you know, there's a lot of things, places to go or that could, there are possibilities to go, but I think that the IBCLC is the perfect place to start for most of these
0: babies. That's really helpful, that's good to know. Um, do you have any I know I have a couple of provider directories, um, providers that are trained in tongue ties on my I have a mouth breathing highlight on my Instagram and I have a ties highlight and I think I have some swipe up links there. but do you have any like provider directories that you prefer to send parents to? Um, you know, we have a oral and professional
1: uh, page. And that's usually where I get them from. So I don't have it. There used to be a body worker page, but that was taken down. Um, but there is a professional page. So that's usually where I get my help from, but it's not accessible to, um, you know, the general public. So I guess I should do that probably.
0: Yeah. That's a bummer. Well, I do have, I know there's like tongue tie Providers.org or Professionals.org, something like that. I have them linked in my Instagram highlights. Oh yeah, there I I was put on some, (laughs) put on (laughs) one of those. Yeah, like
1: do you know you're on this thing? I was like, nope,
0: (laughs) no. I'll link a couple of those that I know of um, in the notes to this show, and then um, last thing, Beth, it's just been it's been really really helpful. It's you've been so informative even for me like I I know a lot of this stuff just from talking with people talking with you but like I still learned so much during this episode um can you tell us where we can find you um and specifically if you have any like resources for for parents
1: yes so um on Instagram I'm at littlemoverspt um I do have a course so, so you know what I didn't say before was you know where do we start what do we do a lot of parents live in places that don't have access to the body workers that we do here. Um, You know, I live in Northern New Jersey in the U S (laughs) and there is a high density of help around the New York city area. So for our parents, I think it's, it's quite easy to find an in-person provider and we are all doing in-person therapy. There's very few people who are still doing teletherapy at this time, but um, I do have an e-course that goes through all of the body and oral movements that we need to do pre and post phrenectomy for baby, young babies, zero to six months, um, and that can be found on my Instagram or on my website, which is littlemoverspt.com. And it's not just about tongue ties. This is about every baby, right? So the you get you take your baby home and you're like, I can't believe they let me go home with this human and I'm supposed to you know, raise them. I have no idea what to do. Um, A lot of my coursework has to do with like, these are normal movements. And if you're not seeing these, what do I do with my baby? This is what you do with your baby. And if you're not seeing these things happen, well, this is why. and, And this is what they can indicate. So it is core strength, stretching, cranial nerve function, oral function. Um, you know, addressing all the symptoms of quote unquote colic, which doesn't exist, but that's gas mm-hmm. and spit up and um and ties and food sensitivities and all of that stuff. So all of it is in that course. So if you live somewhere where you do not have immediate access to the, a body worker, this is, this is the course for you because it doesn't just address tongue ties and like oral structures it has to address the whole body as a system and as a postural control system from head to toe and that is how you know you really can get the complete picture so that's class is called babies bellies and bubbles and that's in my my bio in my instagram which you also have your yeah, for Taylor 10 for that and then there's also a, a breathing beauties course, which is like an hour long overview of different issues that can affect sleep in babies, right? Laryngeal with Strider and Tengtis and Tone. Um, and, and it just goes through all of those things and kind of teaches you, okay, if I have sleep issues, this is who I go to, you know, if I have laryngomalacia, I'm going to go to the ENT. And if I have tone, I'm going to go to the PT and who, who to go to and what. And so for sleep professionals, it's, you know, more of a educational course. And for parents, it's a good guide of, all right, my baby is this age. What provider should I be taking them to? Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you that play by play. So those are the two courses that are out. And my six to 12 month movement course is almost done. Finally, it's been taped since October. Don't tell anyone, awesome. it's still not out yet, but it's done. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that'll be out really, really soon. And that kind of encompasses that second half of the first year of life um, for movement. And we'll also have some oral skills, not feeding skills because we're not, not feeding therapist, right? And not mm-hmm. a speech therapist. So it's not about feeding. It's about movement, core tension, oral structures. So those are all the places you can find them.
0: Amazing. And I'll, I'll link some of those links in the show notes as well. Well, thank you, Beth, so much for joining us. It was so informative. I know that this is just, this is a topic that is, we need to have more conversations about parents need more resources about. So I think that people will really, really appreciate this episode and find it helpful.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I could talk all day about it.
0: <laughs> I could too. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review. If you feel called to, it really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com.